Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, you know when I have people on the show, they are game changers and they are thought leaders today. And the gentleman I have on is doing both. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsors. If you guys love podcasting like I do, there's a great podcast out there called Double B Creates. There's three three great hosts, and they also provide a lot of value. So definitely check it. Double B Creates. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you own a business, you need to listen to this episode. Get a pad and paper because Justin's going to drop some knowledge bombs on you. Justin, my brother, how are you? I'm great, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. What's going on? How's your day going? It's great. Actually, uh, we are, we're on a little family retreat here. Uh, first one since the beginning of all this mess that started last year. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to interfere in your family retreat. No, no. It's a work retreat for me. It's just, uh, it was just a last minute getaway. And um, actually, it's, we, we are retreating in a place where one of my clients lives. So I had a chance to actually meet with them in person today. Normally, it's, uh, it's all through Zoom. So pretty good. Oh. Pretty good. All right. So, you know, we're going to talk today. We're going to specifically talk later about your business and marketing and how a lot of people business marketing sucks. And we're going to hopefully help them a little bit today. But first, they want to know the man behind the computer. So tell us a little bit about Justin, where you're from. And what kind of kid you were, and tell us about your military service. Sure. So I grew up in a town called uh, Granville, New York. Uh, my family originates from a town called Whitehall, New York. It's a way upstate on the uh, Vermont border, right at the bottom of Lake Champlain. Super small town. Actually, Whitehall is the birthplace of the U.S. Navy. That's the the reason Whitehall is even on the map. I'm sure. And um, uh, yeah, really small town. Um, I think in either town, there was probably 2,000 to 2,500 people when I was growing up, small school systems. And what kind of uh, kid were you? Uh, I was pretty good. I was a pretty good kid, um, especially when I was very young. I, I was, I was, I maintained some innocence for quite a while, you know. Um, were you good in school? I, yeah, I was, um, I was a good student, but I did not necessarily apply myself always because school was actually pretty easy for me. So I was one of those guys that did well on exams, uh, didn't do a lot of work otherwise. And uh, were you an athlete at all? Yes, sir. I was an athlete. I, I did everything that I could possibly do that was athletic. So I think I might have tried every single sport that we had in school. Um, and which my, one did you excel at? Uh, so I was a pretty good wrestler. Um, I, I competed in, uh, so I ran track and field as well. And I competed in the decathlon and the empire state games, which is like New York's, it used to be New York's version of the Olympics, um, or like the Pan Am games. Uh, but I went to, I wound up going to the States for pole vaulting, um, I played baseball. I was pretty good at baseball. I wound up playing uh, semi-pro baseball later in life. Yeah, I mean, I pretty well-rounded. I think not not uh, you know not that super all-star 
at any one sport, but pretty good at, at most of them. So because you were doing well in school and also did great in school, did you get any college scholarships? I, I did. I was recruited by uh, the University of Dubuque in Iowa, and um, it's a D3 school, so they weren't allowed to give me an athletic scholarship, but I earned a, uh, like a presidential scholarship and an academic scholarship, and then at the last second, I decided not to go there. Um, I was going to wrestle and run, uh, run track there, um, but I wound up going to um, the State University at Albany here in New York, and I did not have a scholarship there. It was a state school, so it was pretty affordable um, back then. I don't even know what it's like now, but uh, I wound up playing rugby there. That's a tough sport. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. I got knocked around pretty good. I um, I had a pretty good concussion there in one of the games that we had. So um, you had some concussions before you even joined the military. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a concussion wrestling on the mat, too. I was knocked out. Kid took me straight over his back, which is an illegal – it's an illegal move, you know, but I landed on my head, and I was knocked out cold on the mat. It was really strange. Um, I wound up winning that match, believe it or not. It was kind of crazy. Wow. So my, yeah, it was crazy. They had to use smelling salts to revive me, you know, and they revived me. And I could hear everything that was going on. I just couldn't open my eyes. And uh, my coach, you know, everybody applauded as I stood up and everything. And um, I started to walk off the mat with my coach thinking like, okay, this match is over with. He said, no, you got to finish the match, man. So I went out and I finished and uh, I wound up, I wound up pinning the kid. It was just totally crazy. So you got to tell me your recruiting story because, you know, you joined the military and I love to hear everybody's recruiting stories. So talk to us. So um, I I'm sure you gone. killed it. I'm sure you crushed it on the ASVAB and the GD. I, I really did. Um, I uh, I had gone to school. I'd, so just to back up a little bit, a little backstory. I always wanted to be a soldier. I was like I grew up in the era of G.I. Joe and uh I just always wanted to be a soldier, but somewhere in high school, I decided I wanted to go to college, you know? Um, I, I don't really know the whole, the whole path in my mind there, or I can't remember it at this point, but I decided I wanted to go to college. Uh, I went to college for three semesters and I didn't do all that well academically. I didn't have, I never really developed that academic discipline. Like I said, I was pretty good. School came pretty easy, but when it came to doing the work, I just never really had to do the work, so I didn't do it. And so after three semesters, um, I knew I needed the discipline, and uh, so I started talking to recruiters. Now, when I was in high school, the Navy was trying to recruit me pretty hard. With um, They wanted to get me into this nuclear propulsion program you know, that they use on submarines. And, you know, I just didn't... I just didn't do that. I chose uh, college. So, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Uh, hey, I got a TBI and I do that all the time. So. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I talked to a couple of recruiters. I talked to the army recruiters and, uh, you know, being athletic, like I was, you know, I did, I scored, I think it was 97th percentile, which I don't really know what, how that translates. I don't know all the different scores and how they translate to um, the different branches. But basically, they told me you can do whatever you want. And I said, well, 
you know, with this athletic background and I thought it was kind of like this macho kid, this kind of hard charger. I said, I wanted to be, I want to go into special forces. <laughs> right. So, um, I didn't know anything about how to get there. So the recruiter just kind of steered me towards infantry. You got to start in the infantry and then you have to get selected and all this stuff. But that, you know, I didn't hear all that. I just heard, all right, I'm going to go to the infantry and I'm going to be special forces. Um, and that's not what happened, obviously, but so you did join the infantry. You went yep. 11 Bravo, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Where'd you go to Benning or Bragg? Yes, Benning. Okay. So what was that like? Uh, that was great. Um, so, um, just, just like any, any kind of trip to basic training, I think you're, you're a little bit nervous. You don't know what to expect. My mother's brothers were both in the air force. Um, and they kind of gave me a little bit of their accounts of like basic training for them, which was certainly different, but you know, I, um, I kept an open mind. I, um, when we traveled from MEPS in Albany, uh, you know, they gave me my first piece of responsibility and they were like, you know, Sharpentier, you're, you're tasked with making sure everybody gets to their destination uh, on time and in one piece. So I kind of, I kind of liked that, you know, when I got to Benning, we had to do a couple of days in the, um, I don't, I don't even know what it's called. We just did a couple of days in processing. We got our, uh, all our inoculations and our, and our issue. And, um, and then we just waited for, I guess, for a spot to open up. And so that was a couple of days. And then we went straight into training and, uh, I was 30th AG is what it was called. 30th adjutant general. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, um, right, right off the bat, I, um, I got put into a leadership position and, I, I just, I like that, you know, I was, I wound up being like the platoon scribe and I did pretty well PT wise. I was top five of the company, which was pretty good. Um, we had a, we had an 82nd airborne veteran who had just had a, a break in separation that was too long and he had to go through basic again. Uh, he was with us and I learned a lot from him, thought that was pretty cool, but I was still, you know, the, the, the green just recruit. Um, but overall, I thought it was really great. You know, I really fell in love with the military. I really yeah. fell in love with the army. And you got deployed a couple of times. Yeah. So I went to, um, I was in Iraq. I served in Iraq. Um, now you went right around what a time stuff was really kicking off, right? About 2002, 2003. I, we went over in 04, so we were the first relief. Wow. So that, I mean, that's when they had nothing built up. It was just, it was just dirt and sand, right? Yeah, it really was. We didn't, we didn't have a hot meal for several weeks. Um, I didn't have a hot shower for uh, 47 days. So I guess I was counting then, but you know, that's part of, that's part of the infantry for sure. Um that you know there was a lot of challenges there was, now you uh, served from 97 to 05 right that's right so, so in you were yeah well i got stop lost so i was burning up leave time i was getting ready to separate i was actually moonlighting and i started working um as a financial consultant as a business consultant with my friend and his mom 
And I got, I got that phone call from the readiness NCO, uh, late September of 03. I, so I should have, I should have separated December 31st, 2003. It was like December or, uh, September 27th, 03. I got the call and said, you know, you can't, uh, you can't change units. You can't transfer units. You cannot separate. And we're, we're going to be, uh, activated. We're going to be going to Iraq. So we have three days to report to Fort Drum. Um, so that was interesting. That was interesting. Um, Did you go back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, I didn't really have any choice that, that I felt, and that was part of my obligation, you know. So I didn't. It must have been a big difference from when you first went there till when you went there the second time. Oh, so no, that was uh, that was the first time. That was the first trip. I misunderstood okay. your question. Yeah, that was the first trip to Iraq. That was the only trip. So I only did one tour. Okay, so now were you still single at this time? I was. Um, I had a girlfriend. I had a long-term girlfriend. Uh, you know, I was like 25 years old, but I was still single. Um, so what, so was, what was the decision to um, get out of the military? Were you just, just like, all right, been there, done that, threw the T-shirt away? Yeah, or, well, I was, really, I was really disgruntled about that whole stop-loss thing, you know? Um, plus, you know, going through war, you know, there was a lot of precarious situations that I found myself in and I was just not looking forward to, to ever being in those situations again. Um, so as I, as I got out, you know, we were in country, they offer you that tax-free bonus. It was like 20 grand or 40 grand. I don't remember what it was, but to me, that was like definitely not worth it. So the, the reenlistment bonus. Um, you know, I was just like, heck, heck no, let me get the heck out of here. So I, I did, um, when I finally separated, I went right back to work in Manhattan. Uh, the crowds were, the crowds were not my thing. Uh, almost, I wouldn't say instantly, but it didn't take long for me to regret getting out, to be honest with you. Now, when you got out, did you notice that mentally there just something just wasn't right? Or did you come out okay? Uh, no, there was definitely, there was definitely some issues. Like my, my, my personal relationship suffered quite a bit. Relationships with my, you know, my girlfriend at the time, my, my mom, my, uh, just people in general, you know, my, uh, my friend and his mom. The big thing was like, people didn't understand that it was a process for me to reassimilate. And I think I didn't take enough time. I, I separated and then like two weeks later, I just, I just went right back to the business life. Um, I just wanted to stay busy. I just wanted to not think about stuff, but I'll tell you this. Um, I lived in Weehawken. Actually, you're, you're from New Jersey. You're, you're probably from very familiar with this. Oh, I've been to Weehawken so many times. It's not even funny. Yeah, I lived right there. I lived, I used to take the little gypsy bus through the Lincoln Tunnel and to the Port Authority station, yep. you know. And my office was on 37th. Okay. So 37th between, I guess, 7th and 8th or Broadway and 8th, which, whichever it is there. And um, there was a Crunch Fitness. There was a Crunch Fitness in the neighborhood. So I would go to the Crunch Fitness and then I would go back to the bus. You know, on 42nd Street, I would catch the bus back over to New Jersey. And one day, um, I was I had left the gym. I had my, like my molly pack that i had that was my backpack full of my 
my business clothes on my back. I'm wearing my gym gear and I'm just trucking headed to the bus. And this guy was having some kind of an issue with a girl. I wasn't really paying attention, but I did look. I looked at him and this guy turned around and he gestured like he was going to punch me. And I didn't really know, but I just definitely reacted. And I actually punched him right in the throat. And then I got really paranoid thinking <laughs> like I'm going to be in trouble, you know? So I ran onto the bus and I went home and kind of locked myself in my apartment for a couple of days. I just, just so worried about what did I do? You know, that, that, that's when I really realized that uh, I needed to, I needed to get out of the city. You know, I needed to get out of the crowded space. So, okay. Now, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, when we, or guys and girls, cause a lot of females listen to the show. You know, when we get out, you know, the first thing we do is we lose our camaraderie. You know, we miss our people, a lot of our people. Um, then a, a lot of us, like me, um, I, my whole being was being Sergeant Kaufman. And when I got medically retired, I didn't know who I was. And I didn't have a mission anymore. So what was your transition like getting out? I definitely had that, like, survivor guilt. The uh, I missed my guys. Um we were a really tight knit platoon and I guess it was a while after, but my memory now is just, it's, it happened so long ago. It was, it was quite a while after, but they redeployed they went to Afghanistan and I felt like crap. I just felt like crap. You know, it was a really difficult time for me. And Afghanistan was a different deployment than Iraq. The, the platoon got split up and a couple guys got hurt and stuff. Um, we came home with everybody that we left with platoon wise uh when we went to iraq and um everybody came home from afghanistan too but not everybody came home in one piece you know so so you know because now like i said this is a teaching podcast um what were some how did you start did you go for help how did you start getting some help for yourself to try to get back to the center yeah so um i got out of dodge man i i i moved back upstate um, I actually bought a bar and, and that probably wasn't really great, but here's what happened when I bought a bar. I stopped drinking. <laughs> um, just not, not for any noble reason, but I just got really got sick of dealing with drunk people, which I used to be, I used to be on the other side of the bar and I was just, I could see myself as this drunk, obnoxious kind of asshole. And, uh, drinking definitely fueled the fire when it comes to just dealing with that, just dealing with that stress. So that was excellent. And then as I kind of stopped drinking, I wound up speaking with a social worker. I went to the VA and got some help, you know, you know, sometimes the hardest thing is, you know, for, to pick up the heaviest thing they say, and like I've been clean now 30, over 30 years. Um, some of those times, the hardest thing to pick up is to do is pick up a telephone and say, I need help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So now how did you get into the whole financial services business how did that start so that was just a company that my my uh my best friend from childhood his mom had started and and they're from this same small town that i'm from but um she wound up getting some some pretty good sized clients down in the city and she would travel back and forth on the train she'd come down on monday and go back on friday and uh i i just happened to be in that area um, one of the last missions I did was, was, uh, some Homeland security stuff. And we were, I was working with NYPD in uh, city hall area. 
And so I was already down there and that's kind of where I went on leave and just connected with them. And I loved it. I loved, it wasn't just financial. It was like management consulting. Um, we did, we did a lot of different things. We, we were pretty unique business. Her, the way she got started was she represented uh, hotels when they had a, uh, a sales tax audit with the state of New York. So it was kind of cool, you know, it's stuff that I had always thought was, was kind of boring, but when you get into tax law and you get into just the, the business side of, you know, business to me, I found it very interesting and that's what I wanted to do. So yeah. then how did you find your way back into, you know, hanging out with people in the, in the military space again and how are you helping veterans now? Yeah. So uh crazy journey, like through all, all of this, like after that, uh, after the deployment to Afghanistan, I felt like I had abandoned my, my people, you know? And so I just closed myself off from them. I lost touch with everybody. Um, that had to be 06, 07, somewhere in that range. Um, and it wasn't until last year that I reconnected with people. It wasn't until COVID. Um, so I, I was operating my business. Um, I had a lot of small business customers. And when COVID hit, I lost about 75% of my clientele. And I didn't really know what the heck I was going to do. I thought I was going to have to go find a job. Uh, you know, and, and, and at that time, we know jobs were very tough to find too. So I was just really like, what the heck am I going to do? Um, luckily I have a couple of, uh, business mentors and my, my mentor said, what are you talking about, man? You're, you know, you were a leader, you're, you're, you're a military guy. Why don't you reconnect? And I took him up. I mean, I took action actually that day. I reached out to my platoon, some of the guys in my old platoon and, uh, we reconnected by zoom and we had, we wound up having like bi-weekly reunions on zoom and it was really great. And uh, that led me to like this space on Facebook. There's this whole amazing veteran entrepreneurs community, this uh, veterans community in general that I just, just totally missed. And so. Have you heard of this group? It's called zone of action. I heard the owner is really amazing. <laughs> I have. Yeah. So, so that was June of last year when I started that group. And uh, I just thought, you know, I understood, understood completely why I lost my clientele. Like, Marketing is an investment, but it's really, it's really an expense, or maybe I should say it the other way. It's an expense, but it's really an investment. But when, and when it comes time to hunker down and kind of retract, you know, marketing is, is something that gets cut. Um, but it's also a time we know last year is a time when marketing was probably extremely valuable for small businesses. So I just, I just basically figured how can I serve small businesses without charging them like a monthly retainer? How can I, can, how can I help them without, without being the guy that does all the work for them? And that's what was born the zone of action. And, and, now, and everywhere. I mean, you're on Facebook, you're on clubhouse, you're, you're just like omnipresent. And I think now if you're in, in business, that's the way that you have to be. You have to be everywhere or you're nowhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you definitely do because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Um, visibility is huge, huge, huge right now. And uh, as everybody's kind of turned to the online space, I mean, like no matter what your business is, it seems like everybody's online now. So if you want the visibility, you have to be, you have to be there. You have to be in every channel. All right. So now we're going to hop over into business. Um, you know, I, I love, I love your group. Um, I've been in it, I guess, almost in the day you started it. Um, it's provided me so you so much value. Same as the Vetrepreneur Tribe, I've I've gotten so much value out of that group also. But you know, what are some of the you know? Because it seems like everybody that I talk to that got, got out of the military, they either started t-shirt a company, at coffee or liquor company. Eight months later, they're ten grand in debt, and what the hell just happened? So, yeah. what are some of the mistakes that you see new entrepreneurs make? that you wish you would have known before you started your own business? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the biggest thing that I see from people, the, the, the thing that I see that's most common, that's the biggest thing is not spending the time to really niche and find a, a, a person, a customer to serve your ideal customer. And it's kind of funny to think that way because I think the way I thought when I first when I first started getting into business was that we want to try to serve everyone. But when you try to serve everyone, you're, you're just totally generic. You're not really serving anyone, you know? So uh, that, that's one of the big things that I've seen. And I especially see that in the world of marketing. So if, if I could go back in time, I would have spent so much more time just kind of hammering out who, who do I want to work with? Who do I want to attract? Who is my actual ideal customer and then just focus on that instead of trying to serve everyone you know and like they say you know if you're trying to please everybody you're pleasing nobody you know so now let's talk about branding now like i always say for instance if michael jordan walked out of a press conference wearing an adidas suit and adidas shoes people would lose their minds because he is known as air jordan he is almost the face of nike so tell talk to us about being your brand well yeah 100 percent um you know that that goes hand in hand with who is your client who are you serving who is your customer who are you serving and then it also goes hand in hand with what you're just saying about being omnipresent you know if if um you want to be completely recognizable right and so everything that you do now as a business owner represents your brand one way or another whether it's good or bad. Um, I had a client uh, back when I first got out of um, the army. His name is Tom Brown. Um, I'm not plugging him, but he is a, uh, he's a men's fashion designer. So kind of in a different direction, but his, he made these really uh, at the time they were considered to be quirky suits. Like the, the, the pant legs were just a little bit shorter than anybody else. Um, the sleeves were tighter, the fit was tighter, more athletic, um, just pretty tight. The way he wore it, his, his pants actually were up above his ankles and, uh, he wore no socks with his shoes. Right. So he had this specific look and he never, ever changed from that. Like every piece that he designs might be different material. Or it might be a, a, a thicker wool or a thinner wool, but it was always the same. And the guy ended up winning some pretty major awards, 
sold his uh, his signature business to Brooks Brothers for a lot of money. And if you ever asked him why he did it that way, it's because literally what he would say is, if you wear a uniform and you dress the same every day, people will remember you as the guy who dressed that way, as the person who wore that uniform. So I've kind of carried that with me. Um, and I think that is super important to do that. Uh, you have to be the person, you have to be the business that you want everybody to see. Yeah. I love that. Like, you know, I, I just talked to a guy, I interviewed him and he's a, a yoga coach and he always wears a red hat and everybody knows him because he wears that red hat. And if he's not wearing it, people don't even know who he is. So, yeah. I, you know, I totally, you know, get what you're talking about. So now, you know, of course you had to pivot in your business. You know, you had to figure out, all right, you know, the way COVID is business has changed over the last year. So have you seen a lot of businesses fail, but some of them also flourish? And why do you think the ones that, uh, why they failed and how some, some businesses actually flourished during this time of um, COVID? Yeah. Um, I definitely saw a lot of businesses fail, uh, like 70, this of the, the 75% of my clientele that I lost, I don't know if anybody survived. I think they, maybe, maybe one business that survived, but the only, there was in fact, one business, it was an MMA gym. And the only reason they survived is because they had a savings. So I think that a lot of businesses failed for two reasons. They didn't have a lot of savings because operating a business sometimes is like that. It's, it's, it's like pay the bills, the bank account's empty, get paid, have a little money for a minute, pay the bills, the bank account's empty. It's kind of like, you know, paycheck to paycheck only you're not working for somebody else. I think for a lot of small businesses, that's the case. The other thing is just being able to recognize that you have to make a change and then actually take the action to make that change. So those are the two biggest things that I think caused a lot of businesses to, uh, I mean, there's so many other factors. That's a way over generalization, but. Like I had a friend where I had him on the show. He was in the coffee business and he had a, in South Carolina. And of course they had, they closed a restaurant, you know, they were closing restaurants and everything. So he decided to buy a truck and make it a mobile coffee, coffee unit. And now he's doing, making more money out of a mobile coffee unit than he is making in a, in the store. So that was one of the way that ways that he pivoted. Sometimes you have to think, you know, outside of the box, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The outside the box thinking, um, well, in the veterans community, we all know, like you make a plan and, 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 and everything is planned super well, but the plan only lasts for about five minutes until the, it's like Mike Tyson says, right? Everything, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Mm. So, you know, now that, that you, you, what do you advise your clients that you're working with, you know, try to, to try to minimize, you know, failure in your new clients that you're working with? Well, um, strategy, you know, strategy is really big. So if, if you don't have that plan, you know, right now, when, when it's important to make every dollar count so that you do have that, that safety net. Uh, you need the strategy and, and you do, you, you also know that some of the money that you spend, uh, it's going to get spent for a while before you get return, but you have to understand 
the strategy. You have to start with who's your, who's your customer. And then you have to have the plan and stick to it. Right. So um, the big, the big marketing strategy for me is who's your customer. What's the message to them? Build your offers, build your audience organically, test your offers and then scale it with paid marketing. And, and that's like pretty, pretty solid formula now. I mean, things change. Uh, marketing is very dynamic, like every day. But if the strategy stays the same, you don't have to panic. You know, when, when things happen, you can kind of see and, uh, and plan for that. And you have all the data because you, you said that's, that's the way you uh, employ the strategy. And, you know, like, you know, I, was, I, I just interviewed uh, Lane Ballone and Stephen Eugene Kuhn about their book, Unleash the Humble Alpha. And one of the things they talk about is relationships. And I think in business now, especially now, relationships are everything. What are your thoughts on relationship capital? I agree 1000%. I think, uh, I think that's what's lacking in a lot of businesses, especially if we're, if we're talking about social media and we're talking about uh, some of the spaces that you and I share, um, you see a lot of people come in and just kind of be benign. They just kind of promote themselves and, the, and they don't give and take, you know, they just, they just take. And uh, without the relationship, you know, you, you may, ha- you may have some success, but number one, is it fulfilling? Are we just a number? Number two, how do you, how do you repeat that? How do you, how do you scale that? You know, absolutely. You, you, it's, it all starts with the relationship and that's why it's so important. I think to know who your customer is. You know, and like I tell everybody that's on my show, like, you know, I, now, I mean, we've known each other for a while. We've been friends for a while, but now that you've been on the show is when the relationship really begins because we've talked and we've, you know, we we're like the old days, you know, you break bread. And so, you know, the relationship just starts here. And I'm very grateful for the time that you took, especially when you're on, you know, family, family vacations, because family to me is everything. Last two questions. I'm going to let you bounce. How do we find you? I mean, of course, the Zone of Action uh, Facebook group, you guys got to join it. If you're if you're a business person and you're not in it, then you're wrong. Just just saying. So how else can we find you? Um, well, I do, I'm on Facebook quite a bit because that's where, uh, kind of the majority of my work is done. So I can, you can find me at, uh, it's just my name, Justin Charpentier on Facebook. My website is www.shardev.com. So that's C H A R D is in Delta E V is in Victor.com. Okay. So now my last question, you know, cause we, now we live in a crazy world and you got kids and I got kids. You know, we got parents that are homeschooling. We got grand grandparents that are homeschooling kids, and we li- and we live in such a crazy world that if I get somebody to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask them to take an actionable step, they're more likely to take that step in 24 hours. So if somebody's struggling with their business, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get the ship right? Well, uh, this is not an original thing from me, but it's something that is extremely effective. And I, I, I can't remember where I picked it up, but if you are on social media and you go through your, your friends, your friends list, whether it's Instagram or uh, Twitter or Facebook, if you just find your followers, 
if you create three genuine conversations every day and you do that for 30 days, three genuine conversations inside of a messenger or even text message on your phone or a phone call, if you do that for 30 days, you'll change the face of your business. Wow. You know, and I've interviewed hundreds of people and that's the first time that I've heard that. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And it goes back to creating relationships, you know, for me, you know, like I think messenger is one of the most unused things that Facebook has to offer. And also the birthday feature. I think it's so people don't realize that if you message somebody happy birthday, that Facebook automatically changes the algorithm and puts your stuff in their feet. And so if you do that every day, you know, even just to say, Hey bro, you know, uh, happy birthday. It changes your whole algorithm that everybody's fighting the algorithm, but you're fighting against it by not using it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You're, you're one of the first people that I heard uh, talk about that. I had heard it from one of my mentors and I'd started doing it probably a week before I saw you mention it. And I was like, wow, man, Richard's a smart guy. Well, you know, you know what it is? I listen to people and I try, yeah. especially on Clubhouse. So talk to us about Clubhouse for a minute, because a lot of people are missing the boat on it. And I think it's a game changer. So what is your handle at Clubhouse? And talk to us about it for a second. Uh, my handle is at Justin underscore Shardev. And um, Clubhouse is awesome. Uh, you know, it's on this theme, right, of connecting with people. And it's it's a it's another layer of connection because you're hearing someone's voice. So it, it just reminds me of, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s when people used to actually talk on a regular phone. That's what it reminds me of. But now it's like... <clears throat> you're in a group and you're actually exchanging uh, you're actually exchanging voice and you're having real conversation or you're in the audience and listening to it, but it's, it's genuine. So genuine. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, I'm sure there's a lot of garbage out there. I just, I don't see it on clubhouse. Um, And there's certainly a lot of business opportunity there and it comes from the connection. I get it. Like I said, I love it, and I think, it, and according to Gary V, that and TikTok are going to be the two hottest social media platforms in t- in the next two years. So you guys heard it from Gary V. Justin, thank you so much for hanging out today. Um, I appreciate you, brother. Um, I'm so thankful. Uh, if you ever get a ch- chance, check out my friends at Double B Creates Podcast. Um, I'm gonna a- I'm gonna ask them to have you come on the show to talk about your mission. So I'm gonna be in touch with them today. I'm so grateful to hang out with you today and. Uh, just want to say thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, honestly, thank you. Um, I know we've been trying to connect for a little bit and it's been my crazy schedule, but, uh, this was awesome and I can't wait to talk to you more. Thank you, brother. Have a blessed weekend and and go hang out with that family. That's such a blessing. Yeah. Thank you. You have a good weekend too, Richard. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.